Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. Hi. Welcome to season three of Old Millennials. Woo! Yay! We are a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. And today, I am your host, Emily. And tomorrow, I'll be your host, Margo. <laughs> today. <laughs> I'm just yes-anding what you started. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, you, you, though you write in sketch, you had the heart of an improv. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's what they say. Brain of a sketch writer, heart of an improv performer. Someone better be making that print on Etsy (laughs) within 24 hours from now. Today, we are talking about a very important topic from the early 2000s. In fact, from the year 2000, (laughs) we will be talking about Y2K, the crazy phenomenon that had the world thinking doomsday was upon us come January 1st, 2000. I mean, not to get too like, well, back in my day, but this has a lot in going through Uh, a little bit of history and mostly pop culture since that's my segment. Uh, It's really interesting to note the parallels between the paranoia of 2019 going into 2020 versus 1999 going into 2000. And I mean, you're going to talk about it later, but there is a bug, a computer bug relation between the 20 years anyway, which makes it all the more eerie and time is a flat circle kind of situation. For sure. sure. The more things change, the more they stay to same and like no shortage of that with this whole ordeal I mean I just I remember it being just every single local news was or even national news was just talking about what was happening you know will we be ready do people have the food and supplies they need I mean this was like I don't think in my knowledge or conscious, I guess, as a human, that was the first time I remember people really thinking about, you know, the end of near or the end is nigh because this is pre 9-11. This is pre terrorism. Like there's just the 90s in relation to 
what we've experienced since are so tame in comparison. They're extremely quaint. I do feel like preppers, doomsday preppers, were the precursor to hoarders. For sure. And it is interesting how much of the groundwork was laid in 1999 and 2000 to set the tone for the last 20 years. So many things that came through and so many things that, like, stayed, like you said, exactly the same. But it is quite quaint to look back on what people thought, or at least because... Time Magazine seemed to have a much more yeah. prominent um, place in people's lives than it does now because print is dead, etc. But it is interesting how many points of cultural reference are like, oh, because it was a Time Magazine cover. I'll talk on, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but Ravers had a whole Time Magazine cover and it was like a big deal. And that's how we knew that rave culture was like a big part of the early 2000s. It is kind of crazy to think that there were... And they still exist, but like you said, we don't really read time or people don't subscribe to time the way they did 20 years ago. And the time, like most hundred influential people of the year or whatever, the thing that people look out for the most is the red carpentry that happens and not so much like the list itself. For sure. And I feel like what's crazy though is that time once upon a time, for lack of a better word, was very much every, you know, the weekly stories were not just about politics or international affairs or what have you or technology, but really talking about pop culture and the phenomenon around you know various movements that were taking place uh, at the time i feel like the tone of time at that time in in space (laughs) (laughs) didn't subscribe to space wow Wow. yeah i did that came out weird um a a lot of it also felt a little bit like dateliney meets um sports talk with brian gumbel like that sort of um news journal tone that was like so prevalent of like Walter Barbara Walters and this is 2020 which is kind of funny now because that was the gift that went around yeah after it became actual 2020 this year it's just I'm Barbara Walters and this is 2020 I did appreciate Sherry O'Terry coming on to the new year special with Anderson Cooper and just like <laughs> putting him in stitches with her impression um and, t- and the way she talked like it was brilliant it was I was just happy to see Sherry O'Terry was alive and well Talk about a deranged New Year's countdown program. <laughs> Every year, it never fails to be as strange as it can be. There was one year where I came home after a night of going out, and it was um, Wolf Blitzen, right? The Wolf Blitzer. Blitzer, not Blitzen, which is a reindeer. That would be adorable, though. But he was reading Demi Lovato's sorry not sorry lyrics but like a spoken word poem and although I'd had something to drink I was like um I really cannot process what it is that I'm watching and I just every year the show just descends into another level of madness I mean yeah the people who make appearances now I mean it's I think it's the closest we get to a a 1960s variety special in terms of who just shows up uh to to make an appearance yeah, sometimes it's Mariah Carey, sometimes it's Chrissy Teigen getting assaulted by an umbrella. You know, it it really runs the gamut. That it does, that it does. So to go a little bit into Y2K, I'm going to go into the history of it all. Uh, Y2K is a shorthand way of writing the year 2000, um, which was otherwise known as the Millennium Bug. Uh, it had a bunch of other names at certain points. Uh, CDC, or Century Date Change, uh, FATL, which was Faulty Data or excuse me, faulty date logic. But what a sexy name. Very sexy name. Um, and people had known about Y2K or whatever you want to call it for years. 
The name was actually first coined on in June of 1995. There was a guy by the name of David Eddy, who was a programmer, who in an email within a forum gave it the name Y2K, and that stuck over time. And this is in regards to like a, a tech name, right? right? Not as not in regards to anything else. Correct, correct. And so what happened was, ultimately, we had known about this issue for 20, 30, 40, even in the 60s when these things were being coded in, people knew about this issue. They couldn't see the level of impact it could one day have, but they at least knew, yeah, this could potentially be something, but let's sweep it under the rug. Like there's one guy in an interview I was reading who had brought it up at IBM in the late 70s and was like, this might be an issue and brought this up to his uh, supervisor. And the guy was just like, you know what? It's gonna cost too much money. We, let's just like hope that from 20 years from now, there's something we've figured out. And that's the common thread with Y2K. As I was doing this research, there was just a whole lot of what is the cheapest, fastest way we can fix something without having to override software, overriding hardware. Um, and it was this huge, it ended up being a much bigger problem as a result of that. So to give you a little overview of what this bug meant was essentially when people started coding dates into computers in the 60s and 70s, they did it with a two digit date two-digit month, two-digit year format. And the thought process was once upon a time, you probably remember this growing up, your family computer did not have much memory. Memory was very expensive and it was even worse in the 60s and 70s. I mean, how much could a floppy disk even hold? I think someone translated it and it's like, it's nothing. It's, it's absolutely nothing. nothing. It's it's like a 30-second song file. Today. Exactly. Yeah. You could your i your old iPod could hold more stuff in it than an old floppy disk, which is why your parents and yourself if you went to elementary school at a certain time, you had tons of these floppy disks that were Everywhere. completely useless. Everywhere. I remember carrying them in my backpack in high school so I could print something out if I or finish something up if but I But you had to, to number them because of they course. could hold so, so little much, in there. So little. You could you had to spread it across three or four of these little stupid floppy disks, and then you would lose track of which one was which when you had to go print something out. And then you might override something accidentally, oh, yeah. and that was just like a hot mess. <clears throat> it was a very different time. And so as a shortcut, these developers and programmers way back when were like, we're going to keep this to a two-date, two-month, two-year format instead of four years, four-digit years. With the thought of one, this is 1960-whatever, this is 1970-whatever, 20, 30, 40 years from now, we'll figure it out. And then nothing really happened. So over time, you know, discussions came up. And even in the early 90s, before the Y2K craze, there was an article in like Computer World magazine that brought up this conundrum. But it ended up becoming a bigger and bigger risk or problem that got national and international attention around 1995 and 1996. Whoops-a-daisy. Yeah. So much of this truly sounds like what happened with BART. This is, it's like a microcosm, obviously, yeah. but it's like we never thought we'd ever get to this point. Or even more micro than that, I was in disbelief when I started high school. I was like, I never really thought about getting to high school. It was like so far in the future growing up that I never considered the reality of what it would be like. Right. And it's interesting. Metro was built very similarly as BART. I think they thought of it as just like a commuter rail to bring people in from the oh, other in DC. parts. Yeah. 
Uh, Metro, sorry, yeah, to give you, yeah, Metro is the DC version of BART. But, but there's get, also the LA Metro, that's why I was like, oh, wait, what? right, yeah, but it's just, the, a lot of these were built, with the exception of the subway and a cup, you know, and, and around the world, you go to Paris and other countries. Well, uh, you don't ever wait longer than five right. minutes for a subway, because that, it is actually built to transport people exactly. as a way of needed transportation. Right. Like you said, DC and also the Bay Area BART, it's built as a commuter train and they right. never really thought this many people would depend on it every single day. So they've seen upwards, especially in the last six to eight years during this tech boom, they've seen an increase of like a thousand percent every single year. The same thing happened in DC. And it's it's fascinating to me because I think we were so tied to cars 20, 30, 40 years ago and anywhere outside of a really, really big city like a New York or Paris. But it's funny, like we, yeah, we were so car driven for so long that no one thought that especially our generation would make that shift into wanting to live near public transportation, use that not just for work and commute, but also for your day-to-day -day life to run errands and to go to things to hang out with friends. But yeah, I mean, it was a very similar thing with Y2K. Or that having a car also in a big city was right. becoming not a completely tenable situation. It just got more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so the problems that people started predicting as a result of all the glitches that could come out of Y2K were thinking like something as like ATM would stop working, uh, the electric grid, so electrical grid, so all of our power would just cease to work on January 1st. Um, <laughs> and that you would uh, have the you know system that was running controlling air traffic would just fall apart and it could result in all sorts of crashes. oh yeah there were so many people that were like I'm not gonna fly right. on the 31st because, or the first and this is 2000 which was back then a fraction of our lives ran on computers like I think I can safely say that 20 years later there are tw two twice as many three times as many however many you want to say things run using computers but even back then like it's it's easy to forget just how much of our how many things of our logistics and how we live our life are tied to computers a common thing i kept coming across was that the reason why there was so much tech phobia during this time was that computers were enough a part of our daily lives that we were becoming somewhat dependent on them but yes. on the other hand we didn't quite know enough about them yet to predict how what they were going to do right i mean they just they really only in it and covered like a fraction of our day-to-day -day lives like you did your work on it or your, your homework or your your actual work adult work work or you used it for research or you might have used it for maybe keeping the books or something but it wasn't like date today you anything anything you use a computer or your phone which is a computer to to just look up something which is I, I mean our phone today is obviously much more dangerous than a computer from 1999 exactly it's very much like the net depicted truly yeah. up until recently until very recently you're absolutely right so some of the other things that they worried about was uh like even things like documentation so there was a reddit post that one of the articles i read linked to about this guy who was born on january 1st 2000 and because wherever he was born, I think it was like Indiana, they hadn't updated for the Y2K bug. The date it was issued was like February 1st, 1900 or something like that. And so you ended up uh, with people who, you know, were documentation would be set to 1900 or someone had like a mortgage payment and, uh, you know, it's being calculated on a yearly basis. So clock strikes 12 it's going to start calculating things beginning 1900 and all of a sudden you have like a 130 year mortgage versus sure. a 30 year mortgage rate 
So just insanity like this that we, you know, couldn't have predicted or people kind of thought about, you know, when they first started programming computers, but nowhere near at that time could people predict just how much, even in 1999, computers would be a part of our lives. So uh, at that point, um, people start freaking out. Articles start getting published, like the Time Magazine, uh, where it's very kind of doomsday-esque. Um, and people start thinking, like, what are we supposed to do? And so from a government perspective, there's intervention. From a corporate perspective, people start uh, uh, setting up task forces. Like at IBM in, like, 1995, they were already putting together engineering teams that were going to solve the Y2K problem. And the severity of this issue was so insane that Bill Clinton in 1998 made a commitment to what the government could do to solve the problem. And he appointed a Y2K czar that, whose name is John Koskinen. And I know this name because I was a consultant for the IRS for five <laughs> years. And later down the line, Obama appointed John Koskinen to be chairman of the IRS. So when I, or sorry, commissioner of the IRS, and I actually shared an elevator with him one time and didn't realize that was him until two seconds later when he left the elevator with a person who was next to him who was in fact his security detail. I digress. DC brushes with fame. I mean, this is literally all I get to hang my head on. XOXO gossip girl. <laughs> I get to see an occasional senator when I'm back home. It's very exciting for me. Very different uh, background than growing up in Burbank. Um, so the panic for this all was insane. Time Magazine, obviously, like I said, published these kind of doomsday-esque articles. Bill Clinton even said at one point, this is not one of those summer movies where you can close your eyes during the scary parts. What? So, like, this, what the I know, fuck I mean, kind of quote just, is that? He had made this out to be some sort of like horror film disaster movie. Whoa, like, way yes. to fucking stoke the flames, Billy. So, Jesus. Naturally, people were so freaked out that some of them went into preparous mode. So in a, and like went into survivalist, what have you mode. So in a poll by USA Today and the National Science Foundation, at one point, 40% of the respondents in this survey plan to stockpile food and water. That is bonkers. But like you forget that at that time, we just had no idea. And it's so much so that this guy named Ed Yurden, who is a computer consultant and author of one of, he was a prominent person in the Y2K movement and wrote a movement, book, the movement to, to learn about it and solve it and what have oh, you. Oh, okay. Not, right. not like a doomsday, like yeah, it's yeah. all gonna end. But he kind of went in that direction. So he moved his family from New York City to rural New Mexico because he was so afraid of what would happen in New York if the grids went down and there was, you know, chaos ensued. And there were lists, like you had CNN who would publish a list about what to get uh, in what, what the Red Cross recommended. It wasn't like the Red Cross guidelines for Y2K, but their disaster guidelines. So CNN recommended you get a bunch of canned vegetables, uh, high energy foods, bottled water, aspirin syrup or ibicac to induce vomiting wow laxatives thermometer oh, i don't know about that cash a whistle 
Disposable plates and utensils, battery-operated radio. Basically, a lot of what you get, traveler's checks. I mean, honestly, this is so much of the stuff that, being somebody who grew up in California, wasn't an earthquake preparedness kit. Exactly. It was very much of that that nature. It was all the same things that you would normally carry in a disaster type of preparedness kit. And when this all went down, of course, naturally, the U.S. government had to fix everything on their computers, on their side. But it's also on the corporate side, they estimated that it ended up costing large businesses in the United States alone collectively $100 billion to fix the Y2K bug. And in fact, the Commerce Secretary at the time, William Daly, noted that the Y2K price tag worked out to $365 for every American citizen to fix the Y2K bug. And at that time, you had kind of two solutions to fix this. You had your short term, uh, which you could adopt, which was kind of a quick fix called windowing, which would treat all dates from 00 to 20. So it would kind of get you all the way to 2020, which we'll talk about more later, uh, but wouldn't require the same level of infrastructure change and renovation and like redoing code, maybe even having to buy new hardware uh, that the full fix would have to do. And so a lot of companies ended up going with that quick fix. In fact, at the time, they estimated 80% of computers fixed in 1999 used that quicker, cheaper option. And over time, most of those computers eventually got a fix in to help with that as technology got better but as we'll see later on in this there were people who uh, never made those fixes happen and on january 1st 2020 people ran into issues so a little more on the history here it was as people were making all these changes people were ensuring that we wouldn't be affected John Koskinen, the guy who had been appointed by Bill Clinton, was so confident that there weren't going to be any issues after uh, anymore after all the work that they had put in there that he boarded a plane on New Year's Eve, like right before the clock struck 12, so that he would be up in the air to show that he was, quote unquote, like risking his life. Risking it all to prove a point. To I, prove a point. We, we love Petty. We love Petty indeed. What, I mean, and, and what's crazy is we didn't hear just about, we heard a lot about what the government steps were taking in some of the major companies, but there were a lot of companies at the time that kept pretty quiet about what they were doing in the back end to fix this. There was one guy in this Time article I read, he talked about, he was a former IT head of a grocery store chain, and he said uh, that all of the research and work that they put into fixing this issue was kept as secretive as possible because they were so afraid of the PR nightmare that would ensue if people found out that they were working on this. Because there were so many companies that tried to keep quiet about working on it because they were so worried of what their reputation, what that would do to their reputation if people found out they had glitches in their system. And this is before we had um, credit card identities compromised all the time. Like now I feel like- Oh, like giant target leaks and stuff like that. Every year I feel like every major, there is a major company or two that has a major data breach with our info. Back then this was like such new territory because computers were still relatively new that any sort of kind of insecurity would really lead to what people worried kind of pandemonium and, and lack of business for their for their business. And now no one even flinches anymore. Right, exactly. You're like, oh shit, Target like, <laughs> had another data breach again. Guess I got to go in and like, you know, do but whatever. So many people also now have identity protection that exactly. come with their credit cards and so on and so forth. And that it's just, again, it's like a completely new world new and is world. maybe getting closer to the total recall dystopia sure. that we all feared. <laughs> But 
I don't know. It's just interesting that this was like what they thought was a concern. And now, and a PR nightmare. Well, it's so funny because now, you know, we talk about like cybersecurity and all this stuff. Like, people, there are, you know, a lot of people who believe you know, this is before 9 11, this is before anthrax, this is before like the, we were, we were talking about the DC sniper before the, we started recording because I'm listening to a podcast about it. It's before all of that happened. And so, you know, at the time, the idea of cybersecurity and, 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 and needing to protect from attacks and that kind of thing was such a off the radar like no one was even thinking about it that you know in the the 10 years that followed after everything that took place we became there became such a huge market for cybersecurity and data protection and all that that we you know even when things like this happen now like you were saying we don't worry too much because there are all the precautions put in place to ensure that it doesn't ruin your life right a couple of funny things that I read from an AP article in February of 2000 that talked about the results of those folks who did not do anything with their computer systems to prepare. Um, there was a video store in upstate New York that tried to charge a customer $91,250 because the computer thought the rented movie he had returned was 100 years late. I also have that in my little intro as well. <clears throat> I thought that that was the funniest thing, that that was the worst that could have happened. And it's a John Travolta movie, of all things. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to read it because it's already written down, yeah, but yes. Yeah, and those, I mean, I have a couple of other examples, but I think you'll probably touch upon them. So I was tasked with the pop culture temperature at the time, and it was the dawn of a new millennium, or Will Ellium, if you're Will Smith in late 1999, Pop culture around this time was a mix of a gimmicky cash-in, like Will 2K, tech phobia, because as I talked about earlier, computers were normalized just enough to be a part of people's everyday lives, but not trusted that much, and also just a dash of blind optimism for the future. Like Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are we one step closer to getting a flying car? The answer is still fucking no. No. But. As Emily had mentioned multiple times, this was pre-9-11, pre-anthrax, pre-dot-com housing crash. It was, again, a time for blind optimism. We had yet to experience George Bush, George W. Bush, excuse me. We had already had the first one already. So it was it was quite interesting to look back and see what some of the pop culture touchstones were. And the most famous of them all was a Time magazine cover back when Time was actually much more relevant and uh, something that you could look to as a marker of what the world felt like, or at least obviously North America was going through. 
And so the cover stoked the fears of what would befall humanity when we went from 99 to 2000. It was a drawing of Jesus as the world is ending. His back is to us, but we can read the sandwich board that he wears. It says, end of the world, question mark. <laughs> and then a subheader, dot, 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 millennium madness. In retrospect, the fear of a computer uprising kickstarting the end of the world seems hilariously overblown. Best Buy had like this whole ad campaign around how you must turn your computer off at midnight on December wow. 31st, 1999 or else upside down question marks we never really knew. But your computer needed to be off. I remember that was a thing my mom was very adamant about. She didn't get like too freaked out about anything other than just make sure the computer's off before you go to bed. I remember how TV anchors were earnestly telling anxious people that ATMs would be spewing their money out yep. of their hard-earned bank accounts on January 1st, 2000. Turns out the worst thing that happened was a customer in New York, a video rental store, received a bill for $91,000, the cost of returning a John Travolta film, The General's Daughter, for 100 years. Oh, wow. So much of this time period accurately predicted the future, like right now, 2020, and reflected the time that we were living in in 1999. There's a reason why there's been a reemergence of early 2000s fashion recently. We're in a similar time of anxious optimism that marked the Y2K era so distinctly. We are staring at the arrival of the future. So in 1999, going into 2000, which was like the kind of Y2K pop culture time that I looked at, I kind of split it up into a couple of little subdivisions. So we have, we're going to start with tech and style. The iMac G3 was the beginning of Apple's dominance in the yeah. tech aesthetic department. If you didn't have a colorful iMac G3, you weren't shit, especially uh, in middle school. I wanted one so badly, but I came from a PC family. I also did not get one. I actually didn't even get a Mac, I don't think, until college. Me, yeah, same. <laughs> it was always, dude, you're getting a fucking Dell, and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was around the same time, too. Steve from Dell. But my best friend Marianne did have an iMac in a lime green color, I believe. And so we definitely used Napster to download a bunch of rap onto it throughout middle school and high school. So I got a little taste, you know. Similar to Apple, iMacs, Nokia cell phones, especially the ones where you could change out the colors, were huge. Oh, right. They yeah. were smaller, they were faster, and they had the snake game on them, which, you know, who didn't fucking love that? I just saw a really interesting documentary that was on, I think the BBC produced on Nokia. They were, they're a company out of Finland, and they, like, went from nothing to being the number one cell phone provider for, like, 15 years, and then the iPhone happened, and it, like, all and went to shit. But <laughs> everyone had that brick. But they, everyone. they still make, I mean, they still make other stuff, too. They do, they do, but they're, their market or their hold on the market like went from 100% to 0% exactly. overnight. Like that. And I completely agree. They were a brick because I think that the aesthetic is the 80s idea of a cell phone of the future is what Nokia cell phones for look sure. like. For sure. Rave culture was also extremely popular. So much so that it was featured on Time Cover talking about the pervasiveness of E and the long-term effects that it may or may not have. Yeah, it was a real after-school special vibe, but between Moby and Jenko jeans, it was hard to deny that rave culture didn't have a lasting effect on it, this time period. It even got its own movie. Remember the movie Go? Oh, right. Yeah, that movie's insane. I, and then I think about Prodigy as well, which oh, right. also was like rave culture. That Prodigy was like big in what started like the warehouse circuit, but then by the early 2000s, everybody had moved out of warehouses, and it was more like after-hours clubs where you wear right. giant Doc Martin boots to. Yep. Motorola predicted the rise of the digital personal assistants like Siri and Google Home with their version called Maya. Maya was pitched as a quote-unquote cyber babe, which gross cringe, who could quote-unquote read the internet to you. 
The commercial, which initially had its debut at the two, during the 2000 Oscars, depicted regulars and Hugh Hefner alike calling Maya and saying shit like, Maya, read me the stocks, and Maya, what time is cops? Wow. What a sentence from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, and of course Hugh Hefner had like two blonde ladies and he was in the back of a limo screaming, Maya, read me the stocks. <laughs> To really make it feel like full circle or time is a flat circle, depending on if you're a glass half empty, glass half full kind of person, the dot-com boom was also huge at this time, like it is now. It contributed to the paranoia of a robot uprising, again, like now, except more now we're more focused on like AI and like how sentient that's going to become and having a Google Home or having a Siri, like something that like tracks all of what you do all of the, all of the time, how that informs ads you get served. It's like a whole different hellscape. For sure. That 1999 wishes they fucking knew do ahead you, of time. When we went to Disneyland as a kid, do you remember the, the ride, the carousel of progress? It's like the one in Tomorrowland. I don't think it exists anymore, but it like, it oh, was one yeah. of the animatronic I mean, it, ones. It doesn't exist anymore, but I know what you're talking about. Well, so I remember going on that one at Disney World when I was. Maybe, I think it's at Buzz Lightyear um, right now. So when I was, I think I remember getting on it when I was like nine, because I, I think that's the year we went to Disney World. And I remember distinctly their version of the future had like voice op, uh, operated or voice activated microwaves and stuff. And it was like half what we'd have now. And then like video screens to talk to people. And then it was like half like this is still not even close to happening in 2020. It's so funny. Like when we were, you know, in making these things in the eighties and nineties and our idea of what the future would look like and, and how different and similar they are in some ways. Yeah, we have a whole new, different, unimaginable set of horrors that we have to deal with now that we would have never predicted. And yet, things that we really, really wanted, like flying cars or real hoverboards or, uh, I don't know, a, a zero-emission carbon <laughs> cars, um, we don't really get any of that kind of stuff. But anyway, I think you can, to going back to the dot-com boom, especially with the Super Bowl coming up, I'm, I can think of a bunch of apps that had multi-million dollar ad campaigns run during like a Super Bowl that do not exist anymore and the same can be said about what was happening 20 years ago. I'm going to have an honorable mention to Sony right now. They continued to innovate the Walkman and portable CD players with things like the mini disc. They also released the long-awaited follow-up to the PS1, the PS2, in March of 2000 and they made that weird robot dog that they got celebs like Britney Spears to pose with. Oh, yeah. have, I forgot what that I forgot to write down what, what that robot dog even... was called. But like, what was the point of it? I don't really know. I feel like it was for people. It was before we started breeding hypoallergenic dogs, I think. And they're like, yeah, cool. Like a robot dog. But to me, step up from like a giga pet or like a Tamagotchi. But a part of me also feel like it feels like it was, it had this like Venice boardwalk kind of vibe. Like, you know, people that sell kitschy shit along a touristy area and they always have like a little fake robot dog that's like pretending to sleep in a bed or something. Right. And it's like being sold next to like a bunch of glow sticks and flashing swords and what have you yeah or even like those like fake out snakes yeah (laughs) yeah i i don't really understand what the point was but it was one of those things where like damn look at that technology if we can have a robot dog we're definitely that much closer to getting that robot made from the jetsons that's what i assume i feel like janet jackson had a music video for the song from the nutty professor movie around that time that featured one of those dogs and I'm I, pretty sure because, I mean, I'm going to go into music soon, but I touch on Hype Williams. Oh, yeah. So, talking about music, what a perfect segue into my own <laughs> next bullet point. Um, what was 1999's highest sell- selling album called? What else? Millennium. 
Yes! The Backstreet Boys' third album hit its peak of boy band boom on the precipice of Napster. They sold 1.1 million copies pure in its first week of release. It opens with the song Larger Than Life, and the music video that accompanies it has a clock that's ticking down to midnight on January 1st. You think it's going to be 2000, but fucking swerve, bitch, it's the year 3000. Nick Carter's a transformer. Howie's falling asleep each night in a cryogenic chamber. Brian Luttrell is skating around on a hoverboard like he's chanting Tatum from Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the movie so. that he and Mila Kunis would like us to <laughs> never remember they made. I'm sorry. No one's going to ever forget dog robot space boots. Pew! <laughs> burk! 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 I mean, truly. I mean, I talk about the Wachowskis, too. They truly have an eye to the future and uh, a pulse on the culture that we don't give them enough credit for. I'll give them that. Into my next point, <laughs> someone who actually dictated the the aesthetic of music videos for a really fucking long time, Hype Williams, his vision of the future was expressed through music videos for Janet Jackson, Buster Rhymes, Missy Elliott, and a bunch of other people who are featured on a Making the Music Video MTV special. He was really the style guide for music videos from 1999 until record labels stopped giving artists million dollar budgets for music videos, so like maybe eight years ago. I can tell you from experience that even when I was in film school, Hype Williams' aesthetic of like a fisheye lens plus exaggerated gels on lights was extremely popular for everything from music videos to short films to anybody who said that Belly was in their top 10 favorite movies of all time. <laughs> and trust me, there were uh, quite a few people that said that in class. I wonder how much that's held up in like a decade or two later. <laughs> If Hype Williams defined the look of Y2K, the sound of Y2K was defined by TLC's fan mail. I don't make the rules. Like, I just... The whole album is extremely futuristic. They kind of predicted the... They they predicted voice altering... Well, what the fuck does T-Pain use? Um, oh, like, a, it's, it's auto-tune. Thank you. They predicted auto-tune with the song Silly Ho, which is like a strange sentence for me to be saying out loud, but if you listen to it, the whole rap is basically through this voice-altering sound mechanism, and yeah. it was before anybody like T-Pain or Akon was using it all the time to kind of make a joke about rap in some ways. I feel like Cher was also a big pioneer because Believe uses that as well. Right, and that was around the exact same time, yep. and whether or not you love Cher, Cher also had a cher yes. around this time. And sort of redefined, especially club dance music, which also feeds into the trend of rave culture. Yep. She sort of like had a ripple effect over both kind of crossovers because they share so much music and kind of similar audiences. But in addition to TLC's fan mail defining the sound of the late, well, of the early 2000s, really, Lisa Left Eye Lopez was the first to fully embrace the I'm from the future kind of style, like way before The Matrix. And speaking of, we're going into movies, which is a great segue into my next point. We're both dodging bullets in slow motion right now. The Matrix. As much as I love Bring It On, no movie better defines the year 2000 than The Matrix. Some combination of like trench coats, rave culture, and a modern look on parallel realities that still permeates Reddit threads as we speak. Yes. Makes it have this sort of long-lasting effect. I feel like it does really hold up, especially for a sci-fi movie, even from a cinematography standpoint. They really did, the Wachowskis really did do a lot of groundbreaking stuff just in the first Matrix alone. Was it diminishing returns with each Matrix? Yeah, sure, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the first Matrix, which I think tops a lot of decade 
um, 20 year long lists as well, because it really, the style and its influence really uh, carries over and has influenced a lot of directors who have come up since then. Yeah, no, I would agree. And what's interesting is like, I think it even lends itself to being a better film with its context of its release. Like it's already a great film standalone. But I think when you fit, you see that it was released, and I believe it's like March, April of 1999, right before the 2000, like that's where it, it really lends itself to being like, oh my God, this makes even more sense. Like just, anyway, I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah, we're all in a simulation, yada, yada. And I, I think, you know, that joke kind of comes up a lot more now, especially, but I think between The Matrix and Idiocracy, like, it really feels like, oh, my God, these movies were ahead of their time. Even though Idiocracy is, what, like, 2003? Yeah. But I kind of hold the two in the same kind of category. But in terms of pop culture, that is all that I have. I know that we were going to do history, pop culture, and personal anecdote. Yeah. I, I mean, I think my one thing that I would bring up is uh, kind of the last thing for, for me around the Y2K and the history is that ultimately you know apart from the ninety thousand dollar video charge and you know one or two things were like birth certificates had the wrong year and uh apparently al gore's campaign website at the time had the year listed as nineteen thousand one hundred when the clock struck 12. not on al gore's internet not on al gore's internet it really betrayed him that that night um but ultimately these all these programmers spent hours and hours coding to make sure that this wouldn't you know screw everything up and ultimately we'll never know the impact of what could have happened just because things were fixed before that could ever take place but i was reading a, a like i was reading a retrospect from people who had been the ones kind of developing the code at the time and apparently you know these people were spending months years hours you know overtime developing the solution for this and ultimately this guy was one of the programmers recalls that he got the reward he got for the five-year project was lunch and a pen <laughs> ultimately for Yikes. saving potentially saving the world here's a pen here's a pen was it like a mont blanc pen at least like a nice pen it no no mention of the it's not like a, it's like a clicky bic pen <laughs> it was probably someone's dry cleaners pen comes to chirpy's dry cleaning or whatever <laughs> evergreen dry cleaning well my personal anecdote is actually is literally personal uh y2k was the first time i was actually able to have like an adult new year's eve experience which was just a slumber party with my best friend cassandra uh but we rented a bunch of movies and we were gonna like stay up all night and watch all of them so we started out with can't hardly wait which was my I, I, it immediately became my favorite movie as soon as we watched it. Mm. And this was, of course, the time that I was incredibly obsessed with all things MTV because I was boy band crazy and I loved TRL and I always rushed home after school to watch it to make sure that all of the correct music videos were making the top 10 naturally. But that year, MTV had a New Year's Eve show after we watched Can't Hardly Wait, at midnight, no doubt performed a cover of R.E.M.'s 1987 hit that I fucking despise. It's the end of the world as oh, we know right. it. I forgot about that. Gwen Stefani had braces, but... Yep. And I love No Doubt, so we watched that, and and then we went to sleep. But I remember it being like, oh, wow, like this is what it's like to stay up till midnight, because up until that point, I was never up past midnight. Yeah. So it was... That was the year it all changed. That was like Return of Saturn era, too. Yeah, she had the pink, pink hair, hair and, like, the Bantu buttons yep. on top. Yep. 
I remember that. Like, yeah, and then she would go on to get engaged to Gavin Rosdale, which we should definitely cover in an upcoming episode called Iconic, Iconic Couplings. Couplings. Oh, for sure. For sure. So I don't really have any personal anecdotes from Y2K. I, too, remember watching that NP- MTV special at a friend's house where we were, had a sleepover. Sleepover is really popular in 1999. Yeah, for sure, especially given our ages. And um, the other thing I remember is my dad at the time had bought, like, a kind of tabletop wok hot pot situation at the Korean supermarket. Ooh. And and he was buying it because he wanted to make hot pot at the table, but jokingly said that this would be our Y2K solution because it was powered by cooking gas. Um, But that's (laughs) that's really the extent of my personal Y2K anecdotes. what I found really interesting as I was doing this research, and Margot came across some of this too, is that Y2K is still very much affecting us to this day, so much so that on January 1st, 2020, uh, there were actually several computer systems that stopped working or got really glitchy because there, was a lot of, there were a lot of systems that put in that temporary fix I brought up earlier. So they had set themselves up to be good to go from, you know, that day all the way to 2020. And over time, people had kind of forgotten about this and didn't bother, you know, going back to fix it. And as a result, when the clock struck 12 on January 1st, 2020, you had a bunch of various systems that stopped working. Luckily, nothing that was like life altering, but there was a couple of people who got utility bills that were dated with the year 1920. Lots of parking meters in New York City were declining credit card transactions because of this glitch. And WWE 2K20, the professional wrestling video game, stopped working at midnight on January 1st, 2020. Um, And within 24 hours, they'd put a downloadable fix, but I thought that was kind of funny. The final one that, like, was ridiculous, I couldn't believe, was that Splunk, which is um, a, a software company here... Uh, and their kind of business is looking for errors in computer systems, ironically, they found a vulnerability that uh, was going to affect them come January 1st, 2020. So they rolled out a fix to their users uh, that later that week, which turns out the people who use Splunk include 92 of the Fortune 100 companies. So um, ultimately, while these people kind of messed up in this case luckily not many people were impacted again but it just goes to show like the common thread here being oh let's put in a quick fix to fix a long-term problem ultimately today we are doing well it's kind of funny to talk about y2k that's the other thing really i that i thought was so interesting is like going back remembering just how big of a deal this was but ultimately now it's just a pop culture joke like people make the joke of oh yeah y2k remember that lol like i feel like we we we've forgotten just how much uh this took you know how much attention this took for so long i think some of it did kind of come up again as we were going from 2019 into 2020 as i said earlier because some of the same fears resurfaced not to the same i think that we've calmed down a little bit probably because taking in the state of all things considered, it seems kind of quaint to be freaking out about, like, a computer glitch. Or yeah. I, I remember uh, after the new year seeing a bunch of articles being circulated about, like, don't write checks and abbreviate just 2020 or just write the 20 because somebody could just go in and write another year behind it and then cash a check years later. It's like, well, I think so much of people 
is so much of people's attitudes now are like, you know, if they're going to do it, they're going to fucking do it. And versus before when it was Y2K, people didn't know what was going to happen and like, how could we even possibly fix it? But we have bigger problems than worrying about if somebody's going to forge a check in, do some sort of long con check forging in three years and take out a hundred bucks from our account or whatever. I mean, a part of me is like, hope it's worth it. But this is also why things are FDIC insured. I just think that everybody has different priorities and it's hard to stoke the fear about something this fixable. Right. Yeah. At this point, again, like back to what we were saying, there's just so many things, so many, so many reinforcements have been put into place now that will solve the problem. Should anything like that happen, um, that we don't yeah, need to worry about that. There are bigger fish to fry at this point. Yeah, like having way too many streaming services. Like, who thought that was going to be a problem? Yeah. But now this is the reality that we live in. But it was fun to revisit Y2K. It really is a bygone era. Indeed. Indeed. But so mu- it is fun to see a lot of these, like, fashion trends kind of come back. Like, tiny sunglasses and trench coats I... and bike shorts Low. so much like oh a translucent because like, remember like clear backpacks yeah, clear and backpacks like and like metallics. clear plastic tops like and like hair streaks so like having like a metallic streak you know using hair mascara that was another thing i mean it, it's a, a lot of what we were buying it limited to in delia's at that time very metallic-y silvery <laughs> baby blue icy like it, it was a little like in in hindsight almost like like dystopian in some ways like in a metallic and now we do live in a dystopian future exactly. so let's dress like it let's dress like it except let's not bring back those low-rise jeans that's something that or we can, bell bottoms or bell bottoms why both things we can leave behind no thank you Mm-mm. well this was a fun jaunt back 20 years ago we're old as dirt so old but you know what will keep you young subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen on itunes on spotify well i'm sorry on apple podcasts not itunes on apple pod on apple podcasts on soundcloud on spotify although heads up i think we might be moving off of soundcloud at some point we will obviously give you a heads up if that's how you listen to us but Subscribe and rate and review us. You can find us on Instagram at The Old Millennials Pod. You can also find us on Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.